Hi, everybody. It's Brian Eisenberg, and I am here with esteemed author, injury expert, Will Carroll. And I want to talk today about his newest book, The Science of Baseball. It was an amazing read for so many reasons for me, especially over the last number of years, not having a background in baseball. This pictures me as a little kid, one, two years old, baseball glove. And I've always loved the game, but my parents are immigrants. So I, they never put me in little league. I didn't know anything about that, but we always watched. My father loved the game. He was a professional soccer player or was about to be. So, so I get it. Technology came along and I, I've been a data guy for years. I founded the digital analytics association and I'm like, Oh, there's a whole bunch of science that now I have access to that I can use. And we talked about it, like some of the early swing adapters and, and the pitch sensors, and now things like pitch AI and, and the stuff that, that's the force plates and the pressure mats. It's amazing the kind of data and the science that's out there. And I want to ask you first and foremost, why is there such a resistance for most people, especially that younger group, right? That this upcoming middle school through high school going into college player and family to dive into the science of baseball? I think it's because we've always had a resistance to education, I think. And first, I should say, thanks for having me on, Brian. I really appreciate it. And all the kind things you've said about the book. Uh, I, I think it goes back to how long ago was it that Barbie said math was hard? We have a very anti-educational anti-intellectual bent in America. It goes as far back as the pilgrims. And, and unfortunately, that's gotten worse and worse. As we get more and more data, as we get more, and more ways to measure everything, whether that's in baseball or in society, there's more data available now. And we have to figure out what's the signal and what's the noise, as my old boss, Nate Silver, would say. It's one of those situations where I think the political and social climate translates down to baseball. And it's like, first, you have the resistance of the old school versus the new school. Nobody wants to be replaced. Nobody wants to learn a new thing. Uh, but that's not really what it's about. It's really more of an issue of uh, can you get better at your, I don't want to say job, because it, it's not for most people, but that thing you love, how can you get better? And is one of those ways down. Absolutely. There's a million ways to get better at baseball. I just think measuring and analyzing the data is one of the quickest. It's, it's interesting because I, when I wrote my first ebook, going back to the year 2000 with my friend Jim Novo, we wrote a book called The Marketer's Common Sense Guide to E-Metrics. Okay. And it was about measuring websites. Now, Jim was the former head of interactive for the Home Shopping Network. And mm -hmm. he always used this line, I've seen this movie before. And it's this progression and understanding and, and use of analytics. And he used it on the Home Shopping Network and obviously how, how they grew. But he said, when we first started with data collection on the web, right, every company was resistant to using it. And I was watching Amazon. And that's why my last book was called Be Like Amazon. And, and, and I kept telling people, it's like, you got to be more like them. You got to start using the data, see how much they're experimenting, see how much they're, they're, they're using it to get better. I know they're a little pipsqueak right now compared to Walmart that still has terabytes of data. They used to be able to tell you 
if I gave you another quarter inch of self space, how much more money mm -hmm. I'd make in a store, like incredible things. But yet people were still resistant to it in obviously in the retail industry and the marketing industry. But baseball's always been surrounded with data. And that's what's shocking to me, right? Like we've always dived in, in, into the box score on the weekends. We've always been fascinated with Raider guns. Why is it, especially on the development side, that that part still seems to be so ignored? Even at the major league level, it's still relatively ignored. And, and, I, and I want to dive into a section in your book about that, because to me, that was the biggest shocker. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think the siloing is part of the problem, that the manager and the players don't need the same information the front office has. There's obviously... We're going through arbitration season now, and everybody thinks the data will be used against them. Almost no discussion between the two. It was funny, back in, I want to say 2015, Major League Baseball approved three or four wearables to be used. And the Major League Baseball Players Association immediately advised all players not to wear them. And, and so we've got great technologies that players are absolutely not using uh down to i mean apple watches were yeah part of the science dealing thing so you can't use those but whether it's a, a a fitbit or a whoop you would think these things would be on and go down to, to arizona or florida look at one of the players not a one i've seen a couple apple watches just because they're they're so ubiquitous but that's it and a lot of them do wear it in the off season when they're not with their clubs. I disagree. I think it's I, a, I, 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 I've seen a few, but it's still a very small subsection. Uh, it, it's a, a tiny minority. I would say it's less than two or 3%, which are the same that are training with some of these advanced places. It's the guys who are going to APAC. It's the guys who are going to Exos or Driveline or, or one of those places. That's where they start to, see the data. And part of it is that because the team doesn't give them any data, when, when they've got a Bobby Struber and Eric Cressy uh, in their ear saying, okay, because of this, you get this, that's when they start to get it. They haven't been told the right story. They see data as an enemy, as something the team is collecting against them rather than ways for them to get better. And then the other problem is that even when they go to one of these places, they come back in season and don't get a lot of this data, even though most of it is being collected, whether that's by Hawkeye, whether that's by uh, Trackman, one of the others, most of the teams don't share that data. Yeah. You know, I, I've, I've been around plenty of, of minor league players who've trained in the facilities where Sammy's trained. And there are some organizations that freely give them their Trackman and other ones that won't even tell them what they hit on the radar gun. So it's yeah. definitely a cultural issue. It, it, it's interesting because I, I think it comes back to the, the labor dispute that we saw as well. And you hit it like right on the nose. It's the silos, right? Yeah. Instead of thinking of how do we all improve the product on the field? And that includes the players, the organizations and everything that all the data we can use to together to get there. It's why Amazon is now accountable for about 50% of online sales versus everybody else. They just dominate because they realize that if they can get everybody swimming along the same path, it becomes much easier to navigate than, than having everything in a silo. Yeah, exactly. And 
It's interesting. You mentioned HSM there, uh, your colleague. I had not realized just how much sales were still going through it. I haven't thought about HSN in 15 years since my grandmother passed. My grandmother would watch it and, and you know, buy stuff. And I just didn't even think something like that existed, even, even though in the back of my head, I know it gets mentioned on Shark Tank all the time. Uh, I'm a big fan of that show. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, it's curious how something in, in that space can be as old school as we would think it is, though obviously behind the scenes, they're collecting data and always have been. There's a lot of that in baseball. You know, it, it is possible to still be super old school and still successful, especially on the Latin side. You see a lot of players that did not have advanced techniques. They just went out and played baseball and happened to be really good at it and continued to work hard and in some cases got a little lucky. And I, and I think that's the big point that's driven me. Like I told you, my, my dad was an athlete. I, you know, my mom's side, a, a, a couple of people played for different sports in the Argentine national team. No one was a rower and all that. Lots of speed, big guys and stuff like that. Uh, somehow Sammy wasn't blessed with the, natu the natural uh, athleticism. My wife was a cheerleader. I played sports my whole life growing up. But he had the most passion for the game. And I think that's where so many um, parents and families really miss the opportunity is to use science, both in, in the training side and the development side, whether you're a, a really unathletic person like Sammy was or on the borderline and you're not those superstars. Because, yeah, if you're a superstar Latin American player, you probably don't need it. Yeah, later on, we can maybe fine tune a pitch or something with it, but you don't need it for every day. Can you talk about especially you mentioned some of this in the, in the book, how you're seeing, and also with your roles with tools like Pitch AI, how you see the best using data and science to improve their players and, and giving themselves a shot at the next level? That's a great question. I want to go back just quickly, though. I don't think anybody's on it. I think you can get that way. And certainly there are people that are better at certain situations. If you take a baseball player and put them in a yoga class, as I did with some of my college players, it's hilarious. It's absolutely funny. Here are very athletic, very successful athletes. You put them next to some mom or housewife and they're kicking their butts. And it's absolutely amazing to see. So I think there's both that you can be differently athletic or you can train yourself to be one of those things. On the question of how can you best use them, I think it's use them. <laughs> I hate to be as simplistic, but I think what you have to do is figure out what you want and then find something that measures that and then work against that. I think you have to collect as much data as you can in the most accurate fashion you can and then work from it. If I want to increase my bat speed, I am going to look for a sensor that does that. I'm going to look for a camera that can measure it. I'm going to look for the results of my hitting which isn't always the easiest in terms of going in a cage. Now that we have something like hit tracks out there, of course. absolutely amazing, makes it fun. Another one of my college players, I mentioned him in the book, Caleb Vaughn, had thousands of swings in the offseason. Now he's leading off for his college team, hitting home runs, has completely changed his swing, 
and it was because of a tool like that. He just liked hitting. He wasn't in there specifically doing things, but I think when you find somebody who's passionate about it, somebody who has the work ethic and they're able to replicate something, nobody goes in there and takes a thousand swings wanting to get worse or wanting to stay the same. Even if the goal is, I just want to hit a home run over the batter's eye, or I want to take one over the monster. Because if you haven't seen a hit tracks, it can, I know you have, but it, it can simulate the parks down to the inch and add wind and everything else. It's absolutely. So I think what you have to do is just figure out what your goal is, find the tool that best measures it, and then use it a thousand times. We were talking earlier, most of these things don't charge you by the swing. They don't charge you by the pitch. They don't charge you by the use. If you bought a sensor, why are you not using the sensor? If you bought a camera to do this specific thing, why are you not using that on every single pitch? I think it just comes down to getting familiar with it and then getting addicted to that feedback loop of I'm doing my work. I see the data, I see the improvement, I do the work, I see the data, I see the improvement. And, and so that I feel is the best way, which is, dear God, just use it. Yeah, it, it's funny you mention that, right? Because I am not, nor do I play one on TV, a biomechanist. <laughs> but I, I, I went ahead and Sammy and I were one of the early beta users for Pitch AI. We had no idea what we were doing. We were just starting to look at the video, trying to see what kind of things looked right when, and then we'd compare it with a radar gun and try to understand things were going well. I was able to get video of other uh, like professional players and compare that. And they have someone on, on Twitter as well. And so like I shared with you an example of, of someone who's mm -hmm. physically like Sammy today, like someone like a Kumar rocker. We mm -hmm. won't talk about his injury or maybe we will next. We'll talk about <laughs> injuries, but I'm like, okay, let me look at these numbers and how, What's the differences? What, where is he better? Where is he worse? Is like obviously Kumar is doing elite things. Th these numbers should correlate to some level of elite things. Yeah. And and of course you, you know um, Pitch I also did a great course that helped educate us on what some of these things meant. What have you seen as examples? Because I know you've you've done a lot of work with them of ways that players can use something like Pitch AI to really become better pitchers? Yeah, uh, again, I'll go back to just use it. I think one of the worst things we see is, and not knocking you for doing the comparison between Sammy and Kumar, it, it's a situation where people go out, throw one pitch, see a result and say, okay, how do I compare to Jacob deGrom? You don't, <laughs> you just don't. Even if you put up the same numbers, if you were the same height, if you were just as strong, it would not be the same. Everybody's got their individual fingerprint and there's data outside the biomechanics we can measure. There's things like ground force. There, We can't measure grip strength, how the ball is coming out, you know, all the aerodynamics of the ball. There, there's a, a lot of things we don't get from it, though we're getting closer. So I think when you're asking, who do I compare to? People want that instant result. Had the same thing with Modus. When I worked at Modus, the thing they would do is put it on one day and they'd say, okay, what now? And we would say, okay, we need you to do a month to build up 
to see what you're doing, to show what you're doing. I recently uh, got an eight sleep, which is a sleep monitoring and conditioning system. And you have to do a week. And it's one of those where they're smart. They've been, they do a lot of like little insights saying, hey, last night was a little bit different. Tell us why. A this, little gamification to kind of, it, yep. It is something we, we should have done at Modus. But that instant result is, again, a societal issue. We all want something instantly. I say, the person you should be comparing yourself to is you yesterday. What did you do yesterday? How do you feel today? You went and worked out, so maybe your legs are a little dead. So if you're doing it tomorrow, three months ago, six months ago, the best day to start collecting data in any manner is yesterday. We all wish we had more data from when we were 10, 12, 15. We don't have it. Start now. Get that data and start comparing it time over time. Did you sleep well last night? This is another kind of siloing. There's so much data that we have on ourselves and being able to put it together and get that actionable is really my biggest passion right now. So I tell people, don't compare yourself to DeGrom. Don't compare yourself to Kumar Rocker. Compare yourself to yourself. And that's where you can get stronger and stronger. Yeah, 100%. And that's been my motto since day one. I consider myself an optimization expert, right? That, that, that's been my exactly. background. I even wear a bracelet, be better today than you were yesterday. Cause that's the whole thing. It's like, have data, put it to action. Did it improve? Did it not? What did we learn next? And just keep doing yeah. it. The only reason to compare with those guys is because I didn't know what any of the data meant at that point. So it was like, yeah. it was giving me a sense of, okay, that's what elite looks like. What, okay. Let's see if we can get closer to some of these things, but watching him as he progressed throughout the, the whole sequence Mm -hmm. let's talk about because you just mentioned sleep as well and one of my one of the chapters just made my jaw drop as a business person who understands the value of assets and and, in investing in your assets was the injury side and how there's like almost zero investment in trying to understand how to prevent injuries And, and injuries is not just a problem at the major league level but now we're seeing so much more in little league and, and, and high school, we're an epidemic of injuries. And it's not just yeah. the arm, it's, it's shoulders, it's knees, it's, it's all over the place. And sleep is a big part of it. What kind of data should parents be looking at to help, and teams obviously, should be looking at in order to help produce less injury in their kids? Yeah, that'd be. The first thing I would look at is sleep data. I won't even say sleep data. Did you sleep? You know, did you get enough sleep? High school, college kids, they're up late. They got phones. They got ideas and, and their brains don't shut off. Did you sleep well? How long did you sleep? I had a big thing with my college kids where I would be like, instead of sitting around, there's a lot of wasted time at practice. Lay down. Take a nap. Why are you here? There were a lot of guys who would come in and they're like, I did my work yesterday. I was like, so why are you here? What are you going to do? It's practice. Go home and nap. Just go home and nap. You're doing no good here. You're getting in the way of other people. Go home. And and so if, if I can first do some sort of meditation or, or movement series like yoga, Pilates, any of those, 
did you sleep and are you eating well? Those are the, the easy three, those cost nothing. And, and then, you know, there's techniques beyond that, that yoga Nidra that I talk about things like Sarah Howard and, and there's people, Steph Armijo in the book and Tracy Hayes, who's doing some great stuff with mobility, just to mention a few. You know, again, these don't cost much. I've got one of these yoga tune-up balls uh, always handy. I've literally got them in every room. And I find myself, when I'm sitting on a Zoom call, I'm also rolling out my forearms because after they writing two tight. books, it, <laughs> yeah. after writing two books in the last year, it's, it's well, and uh, being on the phones, we'll tighten that up as well. And you know, obviously, if you're straining your, your flexors, that's going to impact you on the field. Exactly. Uh, luckily, I don't have that issue anymore. But it's one of those things where there are very simple things you could do. The teams aren't. Again, we've got this player versus team. They don't want to let them collect their sleep data. They don't want them to know. There, there was a, a team that experimented with Fitbit and, and just trying to collect the sleep data. And the players learned how to basically fake it pretty quickly. One put it on his dog, uh, one put it on his kid. I remember there was one player who was living, uh, he, he was a single-A guy, was living with a family, and every time he would come home, he'd put the Fitbit on one of the kids. And the kid would go to bed early, he would not. <laughs> and the team was like, I don't understand why he's not playing better. Well, it's because he's out until midnight. And you didn't figure that out. So it, it's one of those issues where I think there's so much more we could do. If we want to get deeper into it, teams just don't care. Flat out, they don't care. On one level, I can remember Terry Ryan, former GM, still in the game, told me that a dollar spent on anything other than payroll was a dollar wasted. And they see the players as very replaceable. Tommy John surgery is so good that if I lose a pitcher to it, I get him back in a year and I just call up somebody else. And he probably had Tommy John surgery. We're seeing revisions and second revisions. We are seeing some advances, so hopefully. But te teams in terms of research, last year, MLB did not uh, put out any grants that I can find. They say they did, but there's talking to the people in the field. I don't think they did. They lost so much money. We're talking about half million dollar grants for things that could save millions of dollars. If you were the Padres last year, why did you not spend $10 million on just throwing stuff at the same kind of things? Which is what you would think the venture capitalists that own the company would do with one of their other businesses. If you were losing 20, 30 million dollars a year, the chance of even going to the playoffs, yeah, I, I don't know what the business, I can remember talking to the White Sox and because Jerry Reinsdorf made his money in real estate, I was like, if there kept being breakage, if there were fires in one of your buildings, you would invest in sprinklers. Medical is sprinklers. You, you hope you don't use them, but you often do. You, you wrote an article uh, last year about the Mets team and their classic breaking down. And I'll never forget the moment. It was right after we moved to Austin, we went back to New York to go visit my mom and we're at the, at the Brooklyn Cyclones Stadium. 
And we always got there early and watching the guys warm up and the pitching coach comes up to, to the, the fence line where we're at. And we start talking to Sammy and stuff like that. And he told him, said, never become a pitcher. See each one of these guys, each one of them has, has had surgery. That's not the answer. Of course, by that point, he had already started catching the bug, but I'm like, it doesn't have to be if you, if we really invest in the right things. Yeah, exactly. And just looking at the Mets again, they probably missed the playoffs because of the injuries. They obviously had a ton of pitching injuries. They've had pitching injuries for years, whether that's Syndergaard, whether that's DeGrom, whether that's others. And Steve Cohen spent a lot of money on pitchers. Did he spend a lot of money on new medical technologies? No. They spend a lot of money on, uh, actually, it's potential spam. So, yeah, did they spend any research? Here's a guy with $12 billion and more money on his wall than he does on his ball field. So why would this not be a place where you would spend money? Because it is very literally the area where you can make the most impact. If you spend a million dollars on medical and research, you could absolutely change your team. Just in getting them more ready, having the right high performance people, down to the technologies, you could absolutely jump in front of every other team if you would just do that. And keeping those free agents healthy a little bit longer. Yeah. I, I want to wrap up on, on what you're doing uh, next. And again, bring it back to what people can do at home. So one of the things that, that I've seen in research when, when we were uh, building out and, and alpha testing Pelotero, and it's something that we had seen for a while, is that we saw grip strength. It, once you hit a certain number, Nobody had a 100-mile-per-hour exit velo who couldn't squeeze at least 125 pounds. Mm-hmm. Started talking to a bunch of other coaches. We started realizing, hey, the guys who don't seem to have arm injuries seem to have, like, crazy grip strength. And then Sammy ended up having a push-up challenge and ended up having a little bit of, a, of stress in his arm. And so we go to the PT. What's the first thing they check? His grip strength. And I'm like, oh, okay, maybe we should just keep track as a parent of at least grip strength because that's a $20 device off of Amazon. Yeah. You can you can buy it in an ammeter and measure it. And at least that's a, an indicator of yeah. readiness and strength. And it, it gives you, the, you a little bit of that CNS background as well as your overall strength. You're doing something very interesting now with North Star, which is taking all of that to the next level. Can you explain yeah. the kind of impact? Because Obviously, we can talk about today, but where's this going? Forward. With Northstar, what we're trying to do, we've got a great team. We've got uh, the right kind of people in the right places to take a look at all the data that we're getting from people, whether that's in baseball, football, soccer, Australian rules, which is a big thing. Tennis is something we're looking at. There, there are a ton of golf is the other one. Because getting fit and stronger and and that data focus in both tennis and golf is really taking off. I think what we have to do is get a holistic look at it and and basically give the athlete their own performance team. If you think about the data we're collecting on ourselves, whether it's Apple watch, whether it's Fitbit, whether it's anything you're using, how often 
are we getting one thing? Say you're using a sleep tracker. What does that say about your workout that day? Are the two talking to each other? Is there a way to put all this data together and come up a single number, which is our goal? I don't know that we're ever going to get to a perfect number, whether you're using absolutely nothing and just using it, whether you're using the best technology out there with a really high confidence interval. What we're trying to do is put our arms around all of it, every piece of data you have, and try to create a high performance. Uh, environment for a player, a team, uh, a league in, in some situations, and the data analysis, the amount of performance increases and injury reductions we're seeing is just astounding. I love that. I love being able to have that one number um, or that range that changes and something that tells you, hey, this is what you have to target. This is what you have to do. Yeah. That, that will help people both train and perform on, on, on an elite level. If I can ask one last question for the, our audience who, who is hoping to get kids in, at, you know, to the college level, how do they make sure they find a program that's going to work on keeping their kids healthy and performing at their best? I, I think you asked the question. So many colleges have great uh, facilities. So many colleges don't. Talk to the athletic trainer. Find out if they have somebody who's signed to the program every single time. There are some great athletic trainers out there. There are some not so great athletic trainers out there. And too many times you'll see people that are assigned four different teams and they're completely overworked. And maybe they love soccer and they also got assigned baseball and they know nothing about what it's going to do. You see the same thing with strength and conditioning. 99% of the time, they're football guys. <laughs> and they have a football mentality and they translate it over. The really good ones figure out baseball and, and learn from the great people out there in baseball. So I think the first thing is just ask the right questions. What are you doing in terms of strength and conditioning? What are you doing in terms of athletic training? What are you doing in terms of injury prevention? What sort of technologies and monitoring? Uh, and a simple question is, how many injuries have you had? Because mm -hmm. Injury history is the most predictive for a person. It's the most predictive for a team. And it's certainly the most predictive for a program. If you've had somebody that had two pitchers go down for Tommy John surgery, it's a little indicative. It's not always the, the worst or the best way because you'll get something like if you go to Tennessee or Vanderbilt, they're probably higher than a lot of others, but they're at a higher level. And I think you would get good answers uh, on why those are from all of those people. So I, I think it's mostly just caring about it and understanding that the program holistically has to come together. It's not just the best coach. If you're an infielder, you want the best infield coach, but it's one of those situations where I think just asking a question gets you closer. Awesome. We've been talking with Will Carroll from the Science of Baseball, his latest book. If they want to, uh, A, get the book, uh, but to also find your amazing newsletter and follow you on social media, where can they do that? For the book, you can get it anywhere books are sold. Uh, if you want an autographed book, you can go to Wild Geese Books. Though, if uh, you want to uh, get more on baseball injuries and what's going on in baseball, 
like why three Major League Baseball owners, which is, of course, such a terrible investment, are now putting up $3 billion for uh, an English soccer team. I talk about that, but mostly I talk about injuries and uh, sports science and sports medicine. That's at underthenife.substack.com. Awesome. And, and on social media, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me at Injury Expert. And people always ask, why Injury Expert? It's because at Will, and that's all I could think of. And hey, it stands out. You don't forget it. So, yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Brian.